Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam. I greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yesterday, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and we concluded by talking about what the Old Testament said about the Holy Spirit being upon Jesus. And now we are going to start, you know, move over to the New Testament and uh, about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And in Luke 3, uh, verses 21 to 22, it talks about now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, thou art my beloved son in thee. I am well pleased. Amen. So now this is interesting because Jesus it says Jesus was baptized. You know the story. Jesus went to John the Baptist, who was baptizing people in the River Jordan, and Jesus stood in line to be baptized. And uh, John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist knew he recognized him, and he said, uh, "I cannot baptize you. In fact, you should baptize me." And Jesus said, "No, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness." So John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and then when Jesus came out of the water, and he stood on the river bank, he stood and he prayed. And as he prayed, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily shape as a dove. And the voice of the Father said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now this is actually incidentally, the one, one scripture is we see both the, we see all three of the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit together in one place, actually manifested in one place in the sense that here is Jesus standing, praying, and the Father's voice is heard, and the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove. So we see all three persons of the Holy Spirit actually manifested in a clear way so that everybody heard the voice of the Father, they saw Jesus, and they saw the Holy Spirit come as a dove. But, instant, but what I want to point out here firstly is that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus as he was praying. And I want to point out that the Holy Spirit still comes the old fashioned way. The Holy Spirit, you know, you cannot rub him in, you cannot slap him in, uh, you cannot just hit him in, but the Holy Spirit, if you want the Holy Spirit, you have to pray. You have to be in the presence of God. So that is how we get the Holy Spirit. We pray. The Holy Spirit comes when we pray, when we pray and we seek the Lord. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes. So the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And then in Luke chapter four, verse one, two, it says, and Jesus full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan. Now this is significant because when Jesus, you see, Jesus was 30 years old at that time. This is interesting. He was 30 years old at that time. He lived a holy life. He trained as a carpenter. He studied the word and uh, he obeyed his parents. His father was dead by now, but he obeyed his mother. He, lo he loved his mother. He loved his brothers and sisters. You know, I mean, he, he lived as an ordinary person. He never did a miracle, but only after the Holy Ghost came upon him that his ministry started when he was full of the Holy Ghost. Now, just think of it. If Jesus, who is God himself, needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to go out and to serve the Father, 
how much more don't you and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill our calling and to serve God. Let me repeat myself. If Jesus, who is God in the flesh, God himself, if he needed to be filled with the Holy Ghost in order to speak the word and to do, the, do his mighty works, how much more don't you and I need the Holy Spirit in order to do the works of God and to fulfill our calling and to obey God. Amen. So it says when Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit came upon him. The heaven was heaven opened. Then it says, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan in Luke chapter four, verses one or two, one and two. And he was led by the spirit in the wilderness. This is interesting. It was actually the Holy Spirit that led him to the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. So the Holy Spirit led well, sometimes we think the Holy Spirit comes and makes things easy. No, he does not. Because one of the things that happen when you receive the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, what happens that you will be tested by the devil. I mean, the devil will test you. But Jesus was already full of the word. So when, when he was tempted by the devil, uh, you know, he fasted for 40 days and then he was tempted of the devil. The interesting thing is that, listen, he did not say to the devil, you know, spoke in tongues and said, hey, you know what? I am full of the Holy Ghost. How dare you come to me? No, he responded to the devil by the word of God. So as I said that the word and the spirit always go together. So it is not enough just to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, you know, say I'm full of the Holy Ghost. But no, the word of God is important because even when the gifts of the Holy Spirit come and the Holy Spirit gives us revelation, all those manifestations of the Holy Spirit, how do we verify whether they are real or not, or whether they are of our flesh or of the Holy Spirit or of the devil? We check it against the word. So we must have the word of God in us. And Jesus, all these years, all these years prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit, he had studied the word. He knew the word. So when the devil came and tempted him three times, each time he responded with the word, it is written, it is written, it is written. So remember this, that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not enough to thwart the devil or to defeat him. We must have the word in us because the being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the word, with the Holy Spirit, we can do mighty things for God. But with the word of God, we defeat the devil. Amen. The devil will not run because you speak in tongues, you are full of the Holy Spirit. The devil will run because you speak the word. And so it was in, in the life of Jesus. And if Jesus needed the, to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to speak the word of God, how much more don't you and I need the Holy Spirit to be filled with the word of God? So anyway, but Jesus, also the point is that Jesus, when I say this, I like to say this, Jesus went to the river Jordan empty but he came from the river Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. When you come to God empty and you ask him, he fills you and you go from there full. And it says in Luke 4, 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region roundabout. In fact, that was the beginning of Jesus's miracle ministry. He was healing the sick, casting out devils. That's why the fame of him went out all through the region. And then after that, it says that Jesus, sorry, in Luke chapter four, he comes back to his hometown, to his home synagogue. And there, uh, you know, the 
they see him uh, because he'd been gone for several weeks and now he's back and they give him the scripture to read. They honor him to be the one uh, to read the scripture and they give him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus turns to the 61st chapter of the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what he begins to read. And this is in Luke 4, chapter 18 to 21. Now, uh, chapter, uh, sorry, verses 18 to 21 in Luke chapter 4. And this is Jesus reading. This is actually reading Isaiah. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, what happened? Jesus came to the synagogue. They gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he began to read. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of the Lord's favor or the year of the Lord's jubilee. And then it says, and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister, the, to the, uh, the, the priest there. And he sat down and the eyes of all of them were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, why were they looking at him? Why? I mean, he read the scripture, he handed the scroll back and he sat down. Do you know why they were looking at him? Because Jesus stopped in the middle of a verse. When you read the scriptures, you normally read through the whole context or at the end of the verse or whatever, you know. But Jesus, he stopped in mid verse and he closed the scroll and he sent it, sent it back. Now, if you look at the entire passage in Isaiah, this is what it says. It says, in, it says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But before Jesus, the day of vengeance of our God is the day of judgment when, the, when, when God is going to judge. So, but what Jesus did was that he stopped reading before the judgment part. He, he read the part about the favor of God, about the acceptable year of the Lord, about the year of the Lord's Jubilee, but he stopped short of reading about the judgment of God. He stopped in mid verse and he gave the scroll back. Why? Because Jesus knew that this era, his era, the gospel era, is not the era of God's judgment. This is the era of God's salvation, of God's favor. Now, there will come a time when mankind will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That day will come. But this gospel era that we are living in is not the era of judgment. Jesus didn't come to proclaim the day of God's judgment, but he came to proclaim the year of Lord's favor, because that is why we don't go around preaching to people that God is going to judge you. Our mandate as the church is not to scare everybody and tell them God is going to judge you. God is angry at you because of your sins. But our mandate 
to is to tell people that Jesus has died for your sins. Come to Jesus, be reconciled to God, receive forgiveness of your sins, receive healing from your diseases because Jesus Christ has already paid the price for you and through him there is total forgiveness for you. And the Bible says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins shall be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So, but this is the proclamation. So Jesus was not just reading the scripture. He was also making a proclamation. And he was saying that the spirit of the Lord was upon him because God had anointed him, put the Holy Spirit upon him to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, for those people in the synagogue, he was reading a scripture that they had heard many, many times. But what he was doing was actually proclaiming something, proclaiming his mission. They said that God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to set free the captives, to open the eyes of the blind and to set free them that are bruised. And then he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down and then he, it, he threw a bombshell, verse 21. And he began to say to them, he went off the script. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they got angry and they wanted to throw him off the cliff and they wanted to kill him. Why? Well, it goes back to understanding what the year of the Lord's favor is. Now, this is what the Lord had decreed in the law. He had said, now, you know, the principle of the Sabbath, that every seven days is Sabbath unto the Lord. And then every seventh year is a Sabbath year. But seven times 70, that means the 14 at the end of the 49th year, the 50th year is the year of the Lord's Jubilee. Now, that is a you can call it in our modern day parlance you can call it like a super sabbath you know which is the sabbath of sabbaths this is like the seven times seven years and during that time in leviticus 25 this is what the lord had said that uh, on that day on the day of the year of the jubilee what would happen that was actually a time of restoration when anybody who had actually lost a home or, uh, or, or any landed property would have it restored back to him. So, uh, and then slaves would be set free. So what he's saying is this, that in other words, you know, it, it was like this. So if someone, let me give an example. If someone fell upon hard times and he had to sell his land and sell his house because he had, he had, he had accrued a lot of debts and had become poor and to pay off his debts, he had to sell his land, sell his house, sell his farm and to pay off his debts and so he had become poor and then sometimes they would be so poor that the guy even had to sell himself as a slave to somebody uh, in, in order to pay off his debts and the whole family is in poverty. You can imagine a family like that. So what would happen, what the Lord had said is that at the next jubilee, at the next jubilee, uh, in the morning, early in the morning, the priest would sacrifice a lamb, then he would offer the lamb up to God over fire as a burnt offering and then he would blow the jubilee trumpet and when he would blow the jubilee trumpet the bible says every man would rise up and he would go back to reclaim the property that he had lost so it was a great equalizer so the the poor man who had become a slave 
would walk free from slavery. He was not a slave anymore. The man who had sold his house and his farm to somebody to pay off his debts, all his debts, everything was for, forgiven. He would have his land and his farm restored to him. So in fact, the Bible actually tells us very interesting reading. If you read it in Leviticus, it says, it even says that the price of land and property depended upon how many years were left to the next jubilee because when you buy land or you buy property i mean sorry yeah when you buy land or property from somebody you bought it for a maximum of 49 years and so in the 50th year it would be restored to the previous owner so if a guy bought a farm he's actually buying it for the number of harvests until the next jubilee so the longer the time to the next jubilee the higher the price of land and houses would be. And uh, the lower, if there was only five years left to the next Jubilee, so the fellow knew that he's buying this land, but after five years, he would have to return it to the owner. So the prices of land and property uh, depended upon how many years were left until the next, next Jubilee. I hope you understand this. And even the cost of slaves, because they knew that when the Jubilee would come, it was the year of restoration, the year of the Lord's favor. Anybody who had lost anything for any reason would have it restored to them. But uh, so this is what would happen. So you can imagine a family living in penury, living in poverty. They have lost everything. The father made bad financial decisions. He had to sell their land, their property, their farm. Now he's living as a slave, living in poverty. And the kids would ask the, their dad, dad, when can we be free? When, we, when can we have shoes on our feet? When can we live in a better place than this shack? When can we ha you know, have good food to eat? And the father would always say, kids, the next jubilee, when the next jubilee comes, everything will be restored to us. So the Lord has decreed to us. And so what would happen, you can imagine the night before the jubilee, the whole family is so excited. They pack their belongings. They're ready to move. And now they're ready to move and they're ready to go and they're preparing themselves and they're waiting for dawn and the dawn breaks and then everybody looks towards the temple they're waiting to see the smoke rising from the burnt offering at the temple then they see the smoke rising now their hearts are beating fast because they're waiting for one thing they're waiting for the sound of the jubilee trumpet then they hear the jubilee trumpet and as soon as the trumpet sounds, they, the Bible says every man shall go to his possession. Every man walks to his possession and there'd be great joy among all these people who had lost everything and had everything given to them. This was in the law. But you know, the sad thing was this. Israelites, they kept all the feasts, they kept the laws, different kinds of laws, but they never observed the jubilee. They never, the Israelites never kept the Jubilee. In fact, what they happened, what they said, the reason they gave, well, this will happen when the Messiah comes. Uh, I don't know why, you know, the Bible doesn't say that, uh, the Old Testament doesn't say that the Jubilee will be kept when the Messiah comes, but that's what the excuse they made. This will happen when the Messiah comes. So now Jesus gets up and he begins to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he goes on recovering a sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. And he says to proclaim the year 
of the Lord's Jubilee. Then he sits down and says, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. What he's saying that the Jubilee is not a date. It is not a time. It is not an event, but I am the Jubilee and I am here. And because I am here, everything that you've ever lost is restored to you. I'm here to restore to you. And not only that, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, although the original Old Testament Jubilee in Leviticus had to do with land and houses and landed property and slaves, but Jesus incorporated forgiveness of sin and salvation and healing and deliverance and wholeness and restoration and all kinds of restoration and fulfillment and wholeness and healing into the package. So Jesus Christ became the Jubilee. And when he said, I am the Jubilee, today is this messianic scripture fulfilled in your ears, what he was actually saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm here. So the Jubilee era starts now. And that's why they got mad and they wanted to kill him because, you know, he was taking, as we say in Swedish, taking two big words in his mouth. He was proclaiming himself as the Lord's Jubilee. So the Jubilee is not an event. It is, it is Jesus. So, but why am I bringing this thing with the Jubilee up? Because this has everything to do with the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. When the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, that is when he proclaimed that he was the Jubilee. He got up and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach and proclaim the gospel, the good news to the poor, good news of salvation, good news of restoration, good news of healing, good news of deliverance. He says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set to and to set at free them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord or to preach the Lord year of the Lord's favor or to preach the year of the Lord's jubilee or to preach the year of the Lord's restoration when the Lord restores all things, restores your right, restores, gives you righteousness and gives you healing and everything that the devil has ever stolen from you. I am here to restore that to you. Hallelujah. So beloved, I want to say this. When the Holy Ghost came upon Jesus, he ceased being the carpenter of Nazareth, but he became Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our healer, our deliverer, our restorer. He became the glory and the lifter of my head. He became our jubilee, the one who brings back to us everything that the devil has ever stolen from us. Hallelujah. So that was the proclamation of the Jubilee when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And so now we will continue to study about Jesus and, uh, and the Holy Spirit upon him. And then we'll talk about the promises that he made to give the Holy Spirit to his church. I trust you're all blessed and learning something from this, but let us pray together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for every home, every family that is hearing my word. I pray, Father, that may they may be strong in your word, in your spirit, that you may do a great work in their lives, Father, in their families, in their marriages, in their children. Father, you said you turn, you bless our food and our water, turn every sickness away from us. I ask you to bless and touch every family, Father, every house, 
heal them. Father, in the name of Jesus, meet every need they have. And most of all, Father, cause us to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of God that we may walk with you and bear much fruit for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. We will continue and uh, talk more about the Holy Spirit. And you may write me feedbacks if you, uh, you know, anything you think you've learned or you have any questions or anything, please free, uh, feel free to send me a message on, on Facebook uh, or, or any way you can. And I'll, I promise to get back to you and God bless you.